This afternoon I'm chatting with Marcus Fisher, who's a peer support worker with the Relationships Australia ACT's Gambling Support, support Team. Services. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thanks for joining me again, Marcus. That's fine. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. So last week we were chatting about uh, the Gambling Harm Program, the Voices of Gambling Harm, and you've been kind enough to come back today to talk to me about alcohol uh, challenges. That's what I call it. Yeah. I don't like to call it an addiction, yeah. but I suppose perhaps in the uh, DSM-5, it is under the addictions. That's correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to hear... Uh, your take on or maybe your experience of alcohol harm and just discussing how you got into the drinking and when it came to a point where, you know, it became too much because I think, you know, this is the way we can help people who are struggling and provide some information on where they can seek support. Sure, totally understand. Look, I I think that the journey that it's like what I was ex- explaining last week, it's like with gambling, is when I look back in retrospect, where does it come from? And with no excuses, where does it come from? Mm. You know, I remember my parents used to have, used to get, you know, great big vats of wine and the German, etc., and European and have friends over and they'd bottle wine up and it was acceptable to do that on a Sunday and... You know, I remember them going to Oktoberfests and people getting extremely drunk at Oktoberfests. Mm. And, you know, it was a part of the psyche, a part. I lived a sort of European sort of lifestyle, yet I also went to school and played sport and did those sort of things. So, you know, when That's I... That's also very much part of the German lifestyle, isn't it? Uh, well, They're very outdoorsy. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say so. I think that I probably, you know, I participated in a lot of Australian, if I'd want to put it that way, sports. I was a nipper down at the beach. You know, I played rugby league, those sort of things at school, played basketball. So I look at uh, the sport and the way it played later in my life as mm. far as drinking is concerned. But mm. early in my life, I saw a lot of drinking. And back in, I'm now 60-odd and... You know, I saw behaviours in sort of the mid-60s where, you know, I remember some people in the family who were driving their car down the wrong side of the road and it was, <laughs> it was you know, there was no booze buses and it was sort of like, oh, let's have a laugh about it. Mm-hmm. It was not acceptable, but it was looked at in a totally different light then. Yeah. And the pubs used to close at, at six o'clock. I remember when my dad came out to, to Australia mm. And he'd been in London during the war with the RAF and, and mm. various things and up in Manchester and places yep. like that. And there'd be dance halls open till three in the morning yep. and you could go and get food afterwards and, yep. and everything. And the whole train system, when he came to this country, it was a complete cultural shock mm. uh, with pubs closing at 6pm and ladies in one bar and guys in the other <laughs> in those days. Um, but they'd go uh, and get a couple of bottles of... Um, Rushes or something. Long necks. Yes, the long necks and take them home and the dinner would be on the table or That's whatever. Correct. Or if they went to a dance, they used to take a big pack, like a big canvas bag full of ice yep. and put all the drinks in it. And uh, people used to drive 30, 30 miles to go out to some place out in the countryside and have a drink. But it was all a bit of a lark. 
Yes, and, it was. And uh, yes, as you say, the the limit over the over the whatever it is limit. I can't think of that, alcohol limit. Yeah. was around eight or something. It was. Like, yeah, and they didn't have any other testing equipment. And people had a laugh, and it was a completely different life. But of course, you know that doesn't protect you from developing a problem with drinking. No, it doesn't. And I mean. When I have a look at my journeys, I, look, I remember being 15, 16, my parents were away for a couple of days and my first uh, instinct was, let's have a party. Mm-hmm. So I invited all of my friends, 15 and 16, to my parents' place and we got into the alcohol. And I don't know if they're... Look, I'm sure there would be other teenagers around that have done the same thing. And, you know, I was trying to top the alcohol bottles up with water and all sorts of things, you know, to hide it. And I don't know whether that's sort of my first foray into sort of alcohol and did I get hooked then? No. I, I Look, I, I probably liked the feeling. A lot of people talk about that. They liked the feeling. Did I feel sick? Probably not. I thought it was just naughty, you know. It was just, yeah, let's push the barriers and the boundaries out a little bit, see what I can do. But that's how your family socialised, wasn't it? Food, alcohol, yeah, absolutely. dancing, music. It's, it's acceptable. Look, I really think that for me, when I turned 17, 18, my dad used to work in, uh, as a second or third job on the tray at, at a pub. You know, and I used to be out in the car or out in the car park and sitting out in the car and, and I'd get a lemonade or a, a lemon squash for the, for the boy, you know. And when I started turning 17, 18, I could go to a pub and that tied into my gambling is mm-hmm. that I could legally go and have a schooner and I could drink. And then when I, you know, with sport, but then when I went to university, to me, this gave me a pathway because people say to me, what did you, what sort of degree did you come out of university with? And I said, a drinking and drug degree. Oh, I said, that's what I can, because I could drink whenever I wanted to. It was a uni bar. I had my tutorials at the uni bar and it was like a free pass to the world to me. Was this in the 70s? Yep, absolutely. Well, 70s, 80s. I went to Wollongong University in 1979. So to me, that was just free reign. And it was different days again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not like now. I mean, it's a totally different mindset. But also, I mean, those were the days where guys were hooning down the road. I love using this word, hooning and fanging down the road in their Monaro cars. Mm. And uh, and the purple, the purple ones in particular, I yep. remember the purple and yep. the orange ones. But you could walk out of one job and straight into another. Yeah. Uh, it was very different times. And Having a few drinks was very much acculturated and accepted. Hmm. But the drugging thing, that was, I think that had started coming in during the 60s, sort of smoking pot. And, yeah, and, and it did. And, and you know, it sort of was something that was, you were free and, yeah. Well, I was so that. restricted. I mean, I lived a restricted, I had. Yeah, if you um, grew up in the 50s and early 60s, it was very straight. Oh, look, my, you know, my, my parents uh, and my father expected, and I lived a very restrictive lifestyle. And my parents were particularly, I wouldn't say hard, they were fair, but as soon as I was given a ticket, I left when I was sort of 17, 18, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I sort of got out, I got out and thought, here's the world. You know, I can do whatever I want and nobody can tell me what to do. 
And I think that that was the gateway that I started drinking and experimenting with drugs and going down that path. Mm. And not Um, realising what it was doing to your body. um, Basically 20 or 20 plus um, and that tied in uh, when I talked about, you know, like the gambling harm uh, at that time as well. You know, I won $33,000 on a poker machine. You know, it was just like I was on, 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 a, on a roller coaster ride. And, you know, like drinking became part. And I didn't just realise I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. It, that's it, one of the things with being a young person, isn't mm. it? You know, not recognising the risks and the dangers. Yeah. And what it does to you? Well, the risks and dangers, the things that uh, now I look at risks and harms and dangers from those substances, mm-hmm. back in the 20s, I didn't. They were, and the education around the risks and the harms of those dangers weren't mm-hmm. there either. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. briefly talked about, mm-hmm. but it, not in the context as, as we talk about it today. Mm-hmm. With the, thing, the, the thing for me, I must say, is those movies, and I think I mentioned this last time we chatted was was a big thing for me you know they're in the they've come out of some war scene they've been in the trenches or something or actually the RAF pilots used to come back first Mm. thing in the morning and they'd be getting a glass of rum or something with their breakfast Mm. Uh, and I I think this is and the films where you're saying oh they've had a stressful thing and walk into a bar it's rainy and gloomy outside and well, they're sad and brokenhearted, have a drink. It's all of that reinforcing that having a drink relaxes you, it takes away the stress. These are images I saw when I was growing up. And then I had in my family people who were veterans around me who clearly had seen things and, and experienced things that in those days, they were never, they were told never to talk about it. And so it's, sitting inside and uh, when the war was on the television from the Vietnam and they used to broadcast it every night I just remember that so significantly and certainly that's when I saw my dad really be impacted and his memories that was probably 25 years after the war had finished that's when he started to really um, sort of change in his drinking habits too and it was very clear uh, to me, something wasn't right and it was very difficult growing up in that environment. So I mentioned that because I know that there's probably uh, Vietnam vet f- families who were impacted, marriages that fell apart because of that experience. And now we're so much further down the track, there is counselling and support available and people can reach out. But the thing is that people don't always reach out for help, do they? No, look, it's still that shame and guilt and... When we look at it, it's like a close friend of mine who was best man at my wedding, he's been in the forces as well, PTSD, uh, current situation, spoken to him about the current situation that's unfolding in Europe. Mm. Uh, also, uh, in the early days of our recovery, and we're probably on the same sort of track, is that when Anzac Day came up, he said, please, can you just be with me on Anzac Day because the, it's two up and we talked about gambling. Mm. He said, and I want to go and drink with my mates. And we talk about this, and I have a look in the fellowship. There are a lot of guys there that are vets that come out 
and it's PTSD. They don't know what to do when they've come out. They have triggers. They either go and work for the federal police or something. They go and drink because they see traumatic scenes over and over and over again. So what do you what do you reach for? And you talked about, you know, the association in movies of people, oh, I'm feeling a little bit downhearted. But in any in, in if you look at numerous cultures, not only Australian, is that we will reach for something to celebrate. We will reach some, uh, reach for alcohol to commiserate. Yeah. We will, and I spoke about making excuses. For me, it got to a point where I, I didn't need an excuse to drink. I wasn't drinking because I was happy. I wasn't drinking because I was sad. I just drank because I had to drink. Right. So did you start drinking in the mornings? Look, I, I don't know, and I, I've discussed it with you, I don't know the line or the point where I stopped drinking like a gentleman. Mm. You know, where, mm. you know, I remember I used to go to dinner parties and, you know, I'd have maybe two glasses of wine. Then it got to a point where I was taking two to three bottles and people were not inviting me because they'd be looking and saying, <laughs> he's bringing two to three bottles of wine with him. And why does he need to have that? Why many does he need to have that many bottles of wine? Yeah, and I can't. I can't. At that point of time, it was difficult for me to watch people put a cork back on a bottle of wine or drink a half a glass of wine because you didn't want it. No, to see it wasted. Absolutely, I thought mm. well, I could drink that. There is a saying, and I got to a point where I knew what was happening for me and, and deep down I knew I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. You know, so I was waking up in the morning mm. and I needed alcohol because physically I was ill and I needed it for my mental state. So you had physical a physical addiction Absolutely. to it. And mental. And mental. And mental. Uh, and, but then I'd get to the point of euphoria again and knew that I was in that state. So it was a vicious circle. Mm. So I would end up again either, and I used to drink to blackout, um, mm. Mm. and that is very dangerous. Mm. So the mm. next day I'd be sick and tired again, so I'd have to have mm. a drink again. And that cycle in my la- uh, life lasted for many, many years. That's amazing that your liver and everything survived it. Liver, uh, liver recovers quite well when you stop. Yeah. I did look after myself as far as eating was concerned, but I also, at that time as well, I was taking drugs. So I was doing a number of things. So the, the effect on my mental health, mm-hmm. my immediate family, my first marriage, I, I married an alcoholic because I thought it was easy to drink with them. Then I didn't have to justify my drinking. That's, so it's a codependent thing and sometimes... You don't recognise why you're attracted to somebody, but they end up having the same sort of habit. I knew why. You did know. I, I, okay. I absolutely. Yeah. I had, I, I'm it, thinking that some people don't know how <laughs> no, they end up in these situations. No. And they might be a, a fairly moderate drinker, but yep. then they end up with somebody who, you know, and it's more social and it's pleasant and everything. And then it becomes a really big pattern of as part of their relationship, which can be incredibly difficult because you've got the emotional stuff there as well as the connection it's hard to break free but it's not healthy it depends on how you feel i remember early in my sobriety and you know i've been clean and sober now for nine years and i remember going in my early sobriety down to my parents place and my dad saying to me said should i put all the alcohol away 
<laughs> and I said, tell me why. And he said, oh, just so you're not tempted. And I said, there's a bottle shop down the road and on the way back from to Canberra. I said, I could go and buy a bottle of vodka and you wouldn't even know about it. The only person I need to be honest to is myself about this. Mm. And living in a relationship where the other person is drinking and you're not, you've got to decide how dangerous that is for yourself. Mm. You have to really. I, I know that I met someone that was probably ha- had a couple of drinks and I, and I had to say as a boundary that I'm uncomfortable about this. Mm. Now, that person, now I actually have to, if I say, have a glass of wine, have a glass of wine with dinner, she says, stop trying to force me to have an alcoholic drink. Mm. So if you don't drink as a partner, it's amazing how much the other partner doesn't want to drink and how uh, you know unimportant it becomes to them. Yeah, so changing that pattern of socialisation must be a big thing too, finding something else to have in the evening when you come home and you've had a rough day, some other activity. What sort of things do you put in place to replace that habit that's unhealthy? Look, you know, it's. I suppose it's like smoking. It's like if you're going to go and pick up a smoke, it's like this is where I was talking about, you know, like co-occurrence. It's like if I'm having a drink and I'm or I'm playing an electronic gaming machine or whatever, I'll think, oh, I'll have a drink. And then the days where you could have a smoke, oh, I'll have a smoke. We all just sort of live together. Mm-hmm. And I know when I came out of rehab, and I spent two years in a rehab, when I came out, I thought life is going to be boring. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with my life that I cannot sit in a club? So it's like the party lifestyle. It's gone. Yeah. Is gone. And I'm going to call it is a party lifestyle, oh, isn't yeah. it? Constantly partying. I partied till I was 50. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, if you would have given me more money, I probably would have thought that I could probably continue that. Mm. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I volunteered my time at a Buddhist temple. I became a lay Buddhist. I looked for, and it was amazing how much there was to do in Canberra with very little money. Museums, art galleries, things that I could go to, riding my bike, doing some healthy activities that I hadn't probably partake, uh, partook in for a long, long time. Long time. And a different sense of, uh, you know, was it a better feeling going for a bike ride? I'd start off with it was hard, but yeah. it was, it's, it's a change of mindset. What do I want from the life because I've been granted a second opportunity here? Mm. I've been granted, even though I've put the work in, I've been granted a second opportunity. How serious am I about about this? Mm. You know, is after a while it became part of my lifestyle and I enjoyed that, you know. And then there's gardening that I took, you know, like and I've always liked gardening. So, you know, putting time into gardening and into other, uh, you know, travel. I've always liked travel and uh, continuing uh, my travel. So there's those sort of things. I don't see drinking you know, as part of what I do. I mean, I've sat with people, been out for dinner now with family and friends, and they can have one. I watch my father drink wine and have a couple of brandies. That's his decision. That's your decision. I've been in front of people in family and friends where they've had too many drinks. And after a point, when they start to talk BS, I will walk away and said, I've had enough. And yeah. they, they've said to me, why do you continue to sit here for a while and talk to me? He said, because I've been sitting exactly where you're sitting mm. and I've, you look like me. Mm. So, But I choose to walk away then 
Mm. My dad used to get incredibly <laughs> irritable and mm. we all had to be, wanted. he wanted us to be part of this club of, you know, no. having a drink and all of that. And I found it incredibly difficult. I moved to Canberra to get away from that sort of thing. I love your dad. He's, he's passed away five years ago, but yep. still I love him. But it was really hard. It's just, it was so difficult. And creating that kind of club in the family where if you... Having a drink, you're in, and if you weren't, then you were some kind of a... You weren't part of the party, and uh, it, really, really hard to stand and set yourself apart from all of that. But some some of the vicious things that came out of his mouth, which were came from the alcohol, impact of the alcohol, yeah. were incredibly hurtful and still hurt now. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is... How do you want to enact your life is the the thing do you want to be saying things that you have to apologize for the following day or behaviors that you want to apologize for but you the don't day? think about that you don't see this is that, it, that gets to that point where they don't think that, no. that it's a problem no but that's you know and that's it's the, a problem from other people around them trying to engage in any kind of social connection or loving relationship but see it's like and i remember it's that and this is like when I was talking about having three bottles of wine, people didn't start inviting me to dinner parties anymore. Mm-hmm. And my wife then, because mm-hmm. they're going, no, you know, and then I'd say things that would probably go, oh, well, they deserved it and, and, and whatever. And uh, the thing is, is that when you drink and gamble, and it's exactly the same when I talk about my gambling, when I was starting to gamble and drink like that, nobody wants to be with me. So I try to find people that will be like me to justify what I'm doing and they are just hangers-on. Mm. So At it's the, not really a, a relationship. It's not. It's, it's, it's something that satisfies my needs. I remember that I had very good-paying jobs in Sydney for IT companies and dressed in a suit and a briefcase and I would go to the roughest tumble pubs turn up in my sports car, park outside and go and drink in there because they were the only people that would drink like me. Sticky carpeted you know, places. Absolutely. Sticky carpeted places. Absol- absolutely. And I do like a sticky carpeted <laughs> place, but I don't want to be drunk in there with them. <laughs> and that is the insanity of the rationale that I was going through. Yeah. And, and this is one I was talking about. When I gamble on it, and when I talk about the gambling issues... It's I am not making rational decisions when I'm under the influence of a certain amount of alcohol. And mm. I'm not here. I'm not prohibition. I'm not that. No, no. You know, some people can wine. have a glass of wine Absolutely. and they're perfectly fine. Absolutely. Can, or they just drink socially. But there are some in the community that do, might be okay for a while, but then big challenges come along like with the pandemic mm. has impacted people i know that mm. um, speaking to the local one of the local bottle shop guys i said has how is it you know are people drinking more and he said well they're coming in a lot earlier in the day than when they would normally come in and i thought oh this is all very interesting yeah so it has affected people i think the stats even say that people have been drinking more with the strain of this well, see, that's where people, you know, where do you go and what do you use? Now, I'm challenged with things in my life now. Mm-hmm. You know, my first default is generally, if I look back, I could go, first default, let's get some vodka, 
let's do this, let's get some alcohol and I'm going to go and sit there and go, this is a way of me being able to brush over the issues that are there mm. because it's, it's too hard for me to face it. Mm. I have some current personal issues that I'm going through mm. and what I've done, the first thing I've done is I've had a look at it for what it is and I've engaged outside counsellors. I'm speaking to counselling. I'm speaking to friends within the fellowship people to see if they can support me, I'm doing for myself what I suggest to other people. Yeah, well, that's really great because, you know, I mean, you, you've got the lived experience. Absolutely. And it's about, we talked before we started this recording, we talked about the importance of self-care. Yep. And it's a conversation I've been having with um, mm. my counsellor too about self-care and, you know, I just... I don't know what's happened in the past few years, so many different things, but kind of forget what, what you do, what you need to do that makes you feel good that isn't associated with any kind of a pattern of behaviour, like having a nice bath or yep. uh, you know, making yourself a hot chocolate or going for a walk around the block. It's like Getting I made muffins. Like, yeah, like, like I made muffins last night, and you know I like cooking, so I thought I'll just make some muffins, and you know, smell of it in the house was nice, and I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just do that. And yes, it's. I think we can. Yes, world events and our work circumstances, we can get bogged down. Mm-hmm. And I'm, look, my mum worked very high level, you know, management, and she remembers a lot of the uh, the men that she worked with would they'd say, geez, you know, it's been really hard. I'm going home and probably drink half a bottle of whiskey. Mm. You know, and we're talking way back now. We're talking about, you know, like 60s and stuff like that. And later on in their life, they'd say, oh, look, I'm going to work till I'm 67, retire, and then I'm going to go on a world cruise. They all died, a lot of them, you know, (laughs) alcoholism or whatever it may be because it's too stressful. So how do we take it out? I mean, I still get stressed. I mean, we all still get stressed. So what do I do? Do I think I'm going to do that or am I going to do something alternative Mm. to that? Mm. I was just thinking about how it self-sabotages your life, drinking and not taking care of yourself, not not doing things that are in Mm. moderation or including exercise, eating properly and all of that sort of thing, getting enough sleep recognising when you're stressed and maybe saying, hang on, I might need a well-being day, do something like sit in the garden, which you were yep. talking about. Being in the garden is so fantastic. Yep. Put your hands in the soil. And I think, well, look, our organisation now and with uh, Relationships Australia, Canberra Region and, and in our team, the AGS, uh, AGSS team, is that we are developing programs which have an, a well-being umbrella. Mm. And I was out yesterday out with Oz Help doing, you know, Tradies Tune-Up, which is about all about well-being. And it's great to have that umbrella to talk about all of the things that encompass that. You know, you, you just mentioned them, you know, uh, your mental health. And we talked about that on the voices of gambling harm. Mm. You know, are you, are you drinking too much? Are you exercising? How is you? You know, all of those things mm. make a, a, a holistic approach about the way you move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that from having a former son-in-law who worked in the construction industry that there is a lot of uh, use of drugs and alcohol mm. in those industries. And it's almost like it's um, it's what you have to do. It's rite of passage. Yeah, rite of passage, camaraderie, being part of the the club. Well, we're trying to break that. And, and, 
and it's like what we talk to them. It's when we go and talk to young tradies. I mean, we did this about three, four, five months ago, and some tradies, and we have like an orange little card, which is a support card, looks like a credit card. It's got the one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight. That's that uh, gambling support line number that I mentioned last week. And it's 24-7. As soon as I speak to young tradies, they go, oh, but I haven't got a gambling problem. And I go, yeah, but I didn't say you did. I said, I'm just trying to have a conversation about it. And they are very defensive about being seen as having any sort of issues or even open to discussion about it. And what we're saying is that we just want to be able to open the discussion line about this. And Mm. if you're feeling this... You know, there's alcohol and other drugs. If you're out with your mates and you're drinking and you are not making rational decisions, because you probably wouldn't be, you mm. think, you know what? I've just used $500 that I was supposed to pay for a car payment that I've just put it through the poker machines because I think I might win four grand and you walk out. What are you going to do? Mm. Do you think I might have another drink? Because that might be the easy option for you. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you call support services around what's going on for you, mental Recon- health? Recognising that something's going on. That you, Absolutely. That behaviour. And there's not that shame. And, you know, like people like the Raiders and that, they talk about that as well, is that make the first step. Mm-hmm. And if you can recognise that, that is the issue, is come forward and come and look free and confidential to people. I mean, that's the same with drug and alcohol services, gambling services, mental health services. Go and talk to somebody. Mm. Go and say this is what's going on. Mm. I think there's the four Ds, isn't there? Delay, distract. I can't remember the other two. Yeah, I'm trying to remember them too. You've (laughs) caught me on the hop with that. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a four Ds which might help people just uh, to consider whether or not, you know, it even works, I think, with shopping, you know. Oh, I really need that new dress. Well, maybe I don't need that new dress. Mm. You know, why do I need it? What's the emotional pull to have the new dress or yep. the new whatever it is? Yep. And I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges, not just the advertising, the movies, uh, anything that we see on television which has got people having a drink every time there's some problem, why don't they have a cup of tea or something? which they portray more of that. That would help, I think, a lot. But it's a very much consumerist-driven society where we feel like we need to have a McDonald's or we need to have a pizza because it's advertised on it. Those subliminal messages about if you have this and you'll feel better, why not just acknowledge, hey, I'm having a really crap time Mm. and maybe I need to talk to somebody about it because I'm upset, I'm feeling hurt. And the the drinking or the gambling or the shopping or whatever it is, is really not fixing what's deeply troubling. Because it hurts. Inside. Because yeah. it hurts. Because yeah, and the, and hurt. that's the, the denial of looking at it, it's like, I think one of the most challenging things or questions that I was asked at rehab, one, and there were many of them, was, do you want it or do you need it? And I'm a person who's always just got things because I wanted them. Mm. And for somebody to question me on that, to say, have you looked at this? And I just said, I want it. And I'd have it whether I needed it or not. And that is pure consumerism for me, Mm. you know. And, you know, I used to have a couple hundred hats and Nike shoes. And when we talked addictions and stuff like that, is that what, what am I actually covering i remember going shopping 
and I would buy some shoes, I'd buy some shirts, I'd buy some pants and a watch and things and come home and it was like having a hit or having a drink and then I'd open everything and once the joy of it was over, it was like coming down the other side of the mountain. Mm, mm. And I remember talking to at, uh, a young person's home here in Canberra, a 14-year-old girl who said to me, you do that? And I said, yes. And she identified with me, who's 60, mm. shared a story that I go shopping and that's the way that it affects me. Mm. So it's the same sort of situation, mm. exactly the same. Mm. So that is I'm going to buy a whole lot. Do I really need it? Why am I doing it? But I, there's a whole lot. So you've got to observe your own self. Absolutely. And what, what's the motivator behind? Yeah. I mean, I recently bought an umbrella. An outdoor umbrella. <laughs> I saw one in Bunnings. It yeah. was this lime green one. And I thought, oh, that looks so nice and bright and cheerful. That would look great outside the front of my house. I did not need an umbrella. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll get one for my sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I was there getting one for her, I bought one for myself. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why am I spending this money on this umbrella? I do not need this umbrella. Well, it does look nice outside my house. I just swap it for a different color one. The green mm. one didn't work. But that's I knew the green one wouldn't work. But it does look nice. But the thing was, it was just stupid, really, because I really did not need that umbrella. It was pure. I saw it and it was filling some sort of emotional thing yeah. for me to have it. And sometimes it's nice to have new things. Yeah. It does look nice. <laughs> but I didn't need it. I actually need a new pair of runners to do my body combat class in. Mm. So, I mean, I thought about it and I thought, why am I not spending this money on a pair of runners? What the hell's wrong with me? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> that, look, that, those, those sort of things. And, and I mean, you know, we'll justify purchases. And, you know, and I'm just thinking about the alcohol and I'm thinking, you know, my journey, it took me till I was 50 to realise that I needed to do something about it. Mm. And we're talking about, yes, why don't we be aware and young people be aware when I was in my 20s and 30s and I thought, oh, I've got plenty of time and people used to tell me and I won't tell you the sort of gestures I gave them and what I used to say to them, but it wasn't pleasant. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And then by 35, the you know, like the, the spaceship had just started, the party ship had just started i lived in london for 15 years and then it was 40 you know and i've got a somebody in my family who's turned 40 and i said you wait i said you'll be sitting here alone drinking and you'll be 50 like me all right and sure enough what happened to me i was 50 i was alone and i ended up in a rehab in canberra that's where my best thinking got me mm. you know and before you know it because young people sort of go and i did exactly the same thing I didn't ever think that I was going to end up in a rehab in Canberra for two years to address my alcohol, drug, mental health, gambling issues. Mm. That wasn't the path that I'd actually had mapped out in my life and then trying to deal with what I'm buying and shopping and how complex everything was and trying to unravel it in my life. Mm. So it's hard. They, I think the expression is it's hard to put wise a wise um, head on young shoulders or something. Oh, yeah. But sometimes it's hard, even as the, you were saying, even older people are still in that pattern of behaviour, no matter how destructive it is. Yeah. Very hard to kind of stop the stop the behaviour, yeah. pull the bus up and get off. 
So I I want to know, like you said, you have to have support once you make this decision to make the change, and it's hard, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's look, it's not easy, and I you know I spoke to to some people about this and. It doesn't happen by osmosis, you know. You don't all of a sudden sit down in a chair and then you read a couple of books. I remember going to rehab and taking a whole lot of books in, you know, with me on alcoholism and AA books, and they took my books off me because they said, you can't read your way out of this. <laughs> this is not one of those sort of things. Really what it came down to was surrendering. Mm. Um, I had to surrender. I mean, I was there... I think, you know, six or eight months or something. And I, I think I mentioned to you, I wanted to get a haircut and there was a process and procedure around getting a haircut. You had to sign forms and and one of the counsellors says, do you want it or do you need it? Mm. Do you think you're better than everyone else? And I said, I'm out of here. Done. Done and dusted. I left that rehab and and I said, where should I stay? I'm not from Canberra. I said, where should I stay? And they said, you're the smart person. You should be able to figure that out for yourself. <laughs> they don't do it this day and age because due to your care. Mm. I ended up staying at the Vikings Hotel. Right? And I think within two hours, I went and saw a movie called Flight with Denzel Washington, which is about an alcoholic drug addict pilot. And I was in... I've seen that film. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> he flies the plane upside down. And I was in the... I was a in Vietnam the, vet. Yeah. And I was actually, within two hours after that, I was drinking. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I had to ring them up. I rang them. I, I remember ringing family and saying, could I have some more money? And I was told, no, no money for you. I rang the rehab up. They, they said, look, you know, you have to blow zero. And if you want to come back, the community has to accept you back because it's method by community. It's not oh, this is not a hotel, you don't just rebook a room again. Mm. You know, you have to, they have to want you back and you need to know that if you're going to come back, this is what it's going to be. So they came and put me on the breathalyzer and I, I blew over and they said, you can't come back like that. So we'll come back tomorrow. They came back the next day and I went back to the rehab and I had to sit in front of 50 or 40 or 50 of my peers and tell them why I should be accepted back or why they should consider it. And I was grilled, absolutely grilled. And I was still resistant. Still, I had this thing in me that I knew better. But soon after that, a week after that, I had a lady say to me, if you take the cotton wool, and she was over 30 years sober and still a friend of mine today, said if you take the cotton wool out of your ears and stick it in your mouth, you have a chance of surviving sun. Right, And I was over 50 <laughs> and what I did is that I surrendered and I, and I then had a chance of being able to take a program on to save my life. Mm. That was the day the penny dropped and the light bulb went on for me mm. and that was the turning point. Mm. Such an amazing story really and I applaud you on your efforts and your daily efforts to mm. maintain yep. this and I, I hope that anyone who's listening to your story is inspired to step into that space for themselves yep. uh, and get support. So where can people get support here in the ACT? Look, there is a, a number of different areas that you, you can look for support and 
please understand is that what I've done for myself is no is one path which is for me. Everybody is unique in their own journey. You know, for me, for gambling, I you know I've done you know GA. Uh, when I came out, I also did AA, which and is Gamblers, Gamblers Anonymous. Anonymous. Yep. yep, and then you've got AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, and you've got NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous. I used um, a little bit of each of those to start off with. At the time, I didn't know about the services that uh, Relationships Australia Canberra Region offer, but now you can call 1-800-858-858 and they have uh, gambling support services that are available 24-7 and it's Mm. free and confidential. So if you call that number, they will make appointments to see either a gambling counsellor, financial counsellor or a peer support worker like myself. Mm. Okay, there are a number of mentors um, as well. If you go to a GA meeting, you can get sponsored. Mm. So there are support services around. We're also the voices of, say, for instance, gambling harm, and uh, uh, Relationships Australia has also other support services for family because alcohol, gambling, mental health goes broader than just yourself. Yeah, that's right. And there's the ACT Health uh, Drug and Alcohol that's correct. Service Counselling Support that's yep. available there and that's uh, free. Um, so you can contact, I don't have the telephone number on me at the minute, but I think you can look it up on the ACT Health website. Yeah, and um, if you look in there, there's a number of, yeah, there's a number of services there and, and it really depends. And I think, you know, what I was saying before is if you want to reach out, you reach out and look for those services because that first step is the biggest step. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would like to reassure people that if they want to reach out, you know, there is no judgment. And I've been in the, in, in the position where I was fearful of the shame, the guilt and being judged for what I had done and the past. But I made that step and I'm so glad that I made that step, you know, both in the gambling space and alcohol space and all of those spaces because they all coexist regardless of who you are. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you giving me the time and talking to me oh. about things. I, before we wrap up, though, there's that ad on the television with the gambling, which really annoys me. You know, I I'm, I'm, I hate these sports bet ads yep. on the television, and they're really promoting them to young people, especially yep. young men. You know, they're all dressed up. Is it the the that- clear the Cleopatra ad? Oh, please. Just take them off the television, please. So that's not the ones. Well, they've got the ones in the museum as well. Look, I suppose for young people, and I was talking to some people yesterday with Oz Help, and you know, and I got some stats the other day about how many actually ads there there are. You know, and you've got to have a look at how many ads there actually are. There are too many of them. You know, and for us as a as an organisation as Relationships Australia. We, we don't have the resources and we, we're not going out there. We're saying to people, be aware of what they're, what they're selling there mm. because if you're going out there think you're going to be a multimillionaire, it ain't going to happen, mm. you know. Have a look at do not – gambling harms so much more than just losing money. Mm. Only bet what you can afford. That's what they talk about. Yeah, but, but there's that end of it. What is it? That gamble thing? responsibly. Gamble responsibly. It comes from America. Yeah. That's how, where the saying comes from. But how can somebody who has – that kind of a challenge, gamble responsibly. It's the onus, putting the onus back onto the person who's got the, 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 the habit, the addiction, the challenge that maybe they're not reaching out and getting support for. But it's like smoking kills. It's the same thing. 
I mean, if you pick up a packet of cigarettes... It's pretty lame, that message. You know, yeah. You know, and it says smoking kills. It's got it yep, on the back. Yeah, thanks. That's a fact. You know, yep, we know that. And that's this is a fact, and that's a fact, and that's what you're doing, and it's like, you know, responsible service of alcohol. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, I remember being served in, in a particular, down the coast, in a particular hotel, being served probably 11 double gin and tonics while I had $2,000 in the poker machine, and they asked me to leave because they thought I'd had too much alcohol, whereas they should have probably stopped me at four, all right? Now, you know, some of those sort of things like that, I sort of challenge, but mm. I sort of have a look at that, you know, like the gaming industry. Look, you need to educate yourself what's going on out there, mm. and that's really what it's about. This is, we could sit here all day and say, the clubs are at fault, the sports industry is at fault, that's, they're at fault. You need to arm yourself with what the knowledge is about what it is. It's about the odds, etc., and having a look at the odds of gambling, like or smoking or drinking. What are going to be the things and the consequences for you? Mm. And I think that that's really the message we're trying to get across to people. Mm. And to take care of your own self. That's correct. Yeah. No, thanks so much for talking to me again. Oh, that's my pleasure. Marcus, I really appreciate it. And I've, for years I've wanted to talk to somebody about the challenges with alcohol. Yep. And I wasn't able to get someone to come and talk to me, so I'm grateful. It's always my pleasure. Yeah. So thank okay. you. Okay. Hopefully we've helped somebody. So do I. Thank you. <laughs>